This is Growing the Valley, a podcast by the University of California Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Miller, Orchard Systems Advisor for Butte, Tehama, and Glen Counties. I'm your other host, Phoebe Gordon, Orchard Systems Advisor for Madera and Merced Counties. Today on the podcast, I'm sitting down with Mel Machado. Mel is the Vice President of Member Relations at Blue Diamond Growers. And when he speaks, growers really peek their ears and listen. And I certainly have been listening for a number of years now when you speak, Mel. So it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Bless you. You give me too much credit, but I'll take it when it comes by. Thank you. Mel, you got looped in to a string of emails last summer. Clarissa Reyes ended up writing an article based on those emails. And we were faced with this decision of when should you shake almonds? We're tasked with the northernmost almond variety trial that UC has and that's funded by the almond board. And part of that, you know, we flag off certain varieties and say, okay, let's shake these and, and then we'll wait for the others. So what was your reaction to being included on this and seeing the kind of managed chaos of this email thread? First of all, I was tickled to be included in it because I think I was the only industry guy. I was the rest of it was all UC people, farm advisors. I, I'll say I was enchanted with the dialogue that went back and forth. I've got all the email threads that were developed at that. It, it split up into, I think, three of them. And I'd love to assemble it together into a book or a pamphlet because it was really a great discussion, pros and cons and different opinions and, and all the back and forth that went together with this. So, you know, thank you for including me in it. I've had a my own personal little campaign with the UC through the years. In fact, it's the joke between Franz Niederholzer and I. Uh, the university has always touted early harvest, early shake. And I said, no, no, it's called timely harvest, timely shake, which means the right timing. And the right timing can be quite different depending on the variety, the grower's intentions for what they're trying to produce, and even the same variety, but different block. And what's the reality in their world? So it was a great discussion to see going back and forth. And I actually had a good time reading it. Mel, let's walk through these different stages. I'll be sure to post this graphic that Clarissa Reyes and I were able to compile from our images over the years of different nuts and different whole split stages as part of growingthevalleypodcast.com. It ranges from the number one to the number six. And number one is no separation of suture. So what a almond looks like the full season up until whole split has any inclination of getting started. Then you jump to a 2A, which is less than 50% of the suture line separated. So you have this line going down the nut, but not all the way, less than 50% of that line showing separation. 2B is when you have a deep V in this line. So over 50% of the suture line is separated. But if you squeezed both ends of that nut, you couldn't get it to pop open. And then 2C, deep V over the entire suture line. And that's the real first stage that we consider being a harvestable nut because you can squeeze that at opposite ends and it'll pop open. So three is a suture opening less than a half an inch in width. At that point, you can see the exposed shell. Maybe you have some visible brown edge along the split of the hole there when you're looking up from under the canopy. 
uh, four. It's even widening some more. So uh, opening more than a half an inch in width, and you can definitely fully see that shell. Five, that hole is really beginning to dry, and you can see the hole turning from a white to a brown. And then, of course, six, our final stage is a completely dry hole with a brown shell. So those stages one, two A, and two B that I would consider very early stages in the whole split sequence and not a stage you'd want to be shaking a tree at. Two C from six is this very wide range that growers have the decision of when they want to shake. And of course, not all the nuts are going to be any of these stages at any one time. You always have a real range across the tree. The yeah. top of the tree is always first to split. It can make timing that 1% split that we do our navel orange worm sprays at really tricky because it's hard to see. We have these different ranges, but just for our ensuing discussion, we have these different stages. And we also have what we maybe term a early shake, which would be a 100% hole split. And those nuts that were still at a 2A or a 2B have now reached 2C. Those, when you go up to them, you, you can pop open the hole. And at that point, you could shake the tree. That would be a very early harvest. Or you could really wait, 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 wait until things are fives and sixes. Yep. So I know that was long-winded, but I wanted to make sure we had a foundation mm -hmm. for knowing what we're talking about today. And again, that image is up on the Growing the Valley podcast website. So... Mel, what are some pros and cons to doing that earliest shake, that 100% hole split when you still have nuts in the lower interior that are at 2C stage? First of all, I'll say thank you for acknowledging that uh, the split is quite differential through the canopy. You've been splitting at the top first, splitting at the margins of the field. That's definitely a consideration. You've got to look up through that canopy to know what's going on. And I'm thinking about particularly navel orange room management of timing that whole split spray properly. Secondly, I totally understand why there is a position of advocacy saying you need to do early harvest because you're disrupting that life cycle development of the navel orange room. You take them out of the tree before they can lay eggs on those holes and get that next generation going. And you've really put a dent in what could happen to you with your subsequent varieties, particularly Monterey and Fritz, that will split so much later and can really get hammered by that next flight. If you can take that flight out with an early harvest of the non-pearl, that makes a lot of sense. However, I will say that for me, one of the, the driving considerations the grower needs to look at is, what am I trying to produce? What is my goal in producing this crop? And, and it's something other, well, you know, getting the biggest yield I can. Uh, what product are you trying to produce? First of all, varieties will be different. Soil types will be different. I really wonder what a lot of people do, like in the east side of the San Joaquin Valley here on those foothill soils. And some of the stuff on the west side of Sacramento Valley too, where there's 50 to 75 foot different elevations within the orchard and the tops of the hills are totally different than the bottoms of the hills. That's a real trick to manage. But if you're trying to produce in-shell, for example, my driving line here has always been good in-shell is grown. It's not hauled. And what you want to do is shake when that hull is open and it's butterfly open. You want to do everything you can to make that hull open and come off and not curl up tight around the shell. So you're looking at stage five to let that thing dry out and do a good job of producing in shell, having that hull come off during the hulling process. That means you better have a good worm control program in play then. 
because you're going to be up there exposed to navel orange worm for an extended period of time. If you're producing meats, you're not going to try in shell and you shake too green. I've had a lot of instances where that hole will curl up. The holders would call them cigarettes. You wind up with this curly hole that it breaks into pieces that are the same size and the same density or specific gravity as the meats. And it just goes round and round the gravity decks. And it takes color sorters to get those things out. So you'll fight core material problems coming off of a conventional sheller with gravity deck separation, just trying to get that curly hull out of it. And the shellers really, really fight that hard. Another consideration, and this is really important, particularly in the world of growers I deal with. If you own your own shakers, you own your own harvest equipment, you are the master of your domain. You get to call the shot, assuming you have enough equipment to get across the orchards in a timely fashion. If you're like a whole lot of people, including myself, here's how it works. You know, you pick up the phone. Okay, Mr. Custom Harvester, I'm ready for you to come out. I'd like to have you a week from tomorrow. What do you mean you'll be here in the morning? Because he might be next door. And a week from tomorrow, he might be 35 miles away and he's not coming back. So you get your harvest shaken on their timeline, not in yours. And that's reality. So you wind up with a compromise in a lot of cases. Other quality considerations. When I see three and four there, particularly in four, you can see the backside of that hull is still white. I'll guarantee you that pellicle, that peel is still white. And that nut is, in my mind, not physiologically mature. And you'll wind up with peelers. If you're making meats, you'll wind up with peelers. And peelers mean the peel literally does not adhere well. And on those nuts, you can take them between your thumb and your uh, forefinger, index finger, and just squeeze them and take the peel right off of them. And unfortunately, none of us handler types will pay a premium for pre-blanched almonds. They got to have the peel on them. So that counts against your chipped and broken scores. And last year in particular, from the very first day of receiving in the 21 harvest, we started seeing peelers coming in and it cost growers some money here because of chipped and broken scores. So there's a lot of things to get involved in this proper timing of shaking just with non pro Wow. A lot to consider there. And as you note, Mel, with so many growers dependent upon custom harvest operations, you're not always managing your own destiny when it comes to when to shake and these quality pros and cons that we're talking about with harvesting earlier and potentially having less navel orange worm, like you say, really disrupting the life cycle of navel orange worm versus harvesting on the late end there with fives and sixes and having a, a much better chance of being handed that higher in-shell price. Yep. I will say that these almonds are amazingly resilient. And my suspicion is that where we see problems in quality coming in because of, I'll say, adverse harvest timing, I really believe is because they were extremes. You know, the difference between a five and a six is probably nothing. The difference between a 2A or 2B and a six is a lot. And so you're probably looking at extremes. What kind of examples have you seen with some of those extremes coming in? Like you say, is it because they're just way too early and you're getting into that curled hole becoming a foreign material problem? Yeah. Curly hole in meats, adhering hole in end shell. Now, these days, most of the plants that are producing end shell have color sorters. We'll go back to the old days where we had hullers and you're producing end shell. Typical foreign material on a huller was in the middle teens, 13 to 16% foreign material, and it was all hull. These days, these plants, in a lot of cases, they're shellers that built back in in-shell capacity and capabilities. They've got color sorters, and they're able to get that adhering hull out. And so they'll kick it out of the flow and bring it back around into the plant and crack that out. And that works well. So you're producing good quality in-shell, and then what you can't meet the quality standards for to hit the premiums, 
you're bringing it back around and you're producing meats out of that. Problem with that is you really want to maximize the percentage of in-shell. There's a big difference between 60% of the total flow coming as an in-shell and 85%. The facilities up in the Sacramento Valley, they can get up there into the high 80% range of in-shell coming through that total flow of non-pro. In the San Joaquin Valley, a lot of times we're lucky to get 65%. It is different. Whether it's the facility, whether it's the expertise, whether it's the crop that's coming in, the old saying garbage in, garbage out is very true. Some of this stuff comes in, to, they try to make in-shell out of, and it's really difficult to do. So it boils down to timing it the best you can for that specific block, for that specific orchard, and then making the best product you can out of it as you go through the hauling shelling process. As you noted earlier, we have all of these different considerations at play just for non-Perel, but we can't pretend that it's the only variety out there. So what are some of the considerations for other varieties? And there are some real peculiarities when it comes to shake timing for, yeah. for a given variety. I'll say non-Perel and Sonora, for a little bit of Sonora that's out there, I'm going to say they're so similar. If anybody's had significant differences, they've never related it to me as being an issue as far as producing the material as in-shell or producing as meats. Independence, I've heard shake them green, I've heard shake them dry, shake them early, shake them late. I've had a few people swear they've found the secret to getting all the nuts out of the tree, but I've not seen it with my own eyes. I've seen independence that the hull has split so, and I don't want to say badly or severely, but it didn't just split open. It split apart into three or four pieces. And all you've got left on the tree is in-shell. And there's not enough weight there in that nut that you can transfer energy to through the shaker. And people don't think of it this way. The shaking process is literally a process of transferring energy from the shaker head into the tree so you can get those nuts off of the tree. Well, an assumption is that there's some mass, some weight around that nut, that hole that helps you take it off. If that hole's fallen off and you've got in-shell, I don't know that you can transfer enough energy to get that in-shell nut off the tree. So you see some funny things sometimes. Another extreme is Padre. In fact, I mentioned yesterday to a grower about shaking Padre green, because if you wait late on Padre, they'll glue themselves to the tree and you can't get them out. And he corrected me. He said, no, you shake them yellow. It's when that hull is yellow, it's turning a nice golden color. And you know, the Padre has the beauty of having a hard shell and a very good shell seal. I'll say there's not an ant on this planet that can get through a Padre shell. There's just no opening. There's no even little fissure or crack in that shell where they can get into it. So the Padre can lay in the ground for a long time. And typically it's grown with a butte. Well, when the butte's ready, you shake it. They lay on the ground together. When they're both at the right moisture you want, you sweep them together and you pick them up and you're good. But if you try, I've had a lot of growers try to shake butte and Padre together and it ordinarily doesn't work out well. Padre needs to be shaken, I'll say green or yellow. A couple really important considerations there. And it's something we're definitely looking at in the variety trials where it just seems to me that I was just doing a tour of the variety trial the other day and so many of the varieties that are at the bottom of the yield list, one of the attributes is that a lot of those nuts were left on the tree after harvest. Ability to shake is dramatic difference by variety and something we want to rogue out some potential new varieties that just don't shake well. They either just become absolutely glued to the tree at a late stage, and it's like you'd have to pull the spur off to pull the nut off. I say or, you need an almond-shaped socket. Yeah, an, an almond-shaped socket indeed. And then in other cases, I've seen that certain varieties, the hole will fly open 
like a butterfly and those wings of the butterfly may just drop off. And so you don't have that weighing down the shell and the nut meat, adding to this mass needed to remove it from the tree during shaking. Yep. So Mel, any other anecdotes of grower experiences with different shaking timing? Maybe the extremes and many growers don't have the real choice because of custom harvest. Yeah. You know, we've had years where windfalls are so prevalent. In fact, the last two years, uh, nuts were just loose in the trees and we had a 25 mile an hour wind and shaking was just about a formality the next day. And, you know, there's good and bad that goes with that. This in my experience, when I look at a grower and, and we're talking about harvesting, I always say, what are you trying to produce? What is your goal? And I really believe that's something that needs to be considered. And then you work within that goal. And if it's in shell, you're going to want to shake them later so that you have a better chance to produce a greater proportion of quality in shell, which is all about reducing foreign material. If it's meats, it's a little more forgiving. I keep talking about in shell, but I reminded myself here of a time I was speaking to a polar annual meeting here locally, and we were talking about producing in shell. And I got about two minutes into the discussion and I said, wait a minute, why is it in the old days we used to drink your beer, eat your watermelon, burn your chicken on the, on the grill, have some sweet corn. In other words, celebrate Labor Day and then go out and start harvest. And there was about a 10 second pause. And finally, one guy in the back says, all we had was hullers back then. Yeah. And the fact that we've evolved into shellers and that sure oil technology in shellers. And oh, by the way, color sorters in a lot of cases at the back end of the sheller, we've been able to put stuff into a sheller that quite frankly, in many cases, had no business going there. You can put a pig in a sheller and turn it into pork. You put a pig in a huller, you got an angry, bloody pig. It just doesn't work well in the classic old huller. So again, what am I trying to produce? What's the facility that I'm going to be using to produce that? How do I match these two up for optimal production? What do I want to maximize? And shellers are very forgiving. I would be remiss if I didn't add IC stuff that is shaken, swept, picked up, and put in stockpiles that scare me. I know that the best practices say stockpiles should be covered with white on black plastic. I personally hate that because I can't see the condensation on the inside of the plastic. And I'll drive through huller yards and I'll look for condensation on that clear plastic. And if you see it, you've got to vent those piles. Why is there condensation on that plastic? Because the nuts were picked up too green. There's too much moisture in the hull, at least in the hull, if not on the kernel. And that is really detrimental to quality. Whatever you're producing, meats or in shell, that's a bad thing to have happen. It is directly related to when they harvested. So there's other considerations besides what I'm trying to produce that get involved in the shaking decision. And if, if you're going to shake them green, get ready to let them lay on the ground for a long time, which means you better have your ant program working for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Those concerns with an ant program and even just really water stressed trees. We've had smoky, smoky, smoky harvest periods these last couple of years because oh. of wildfires. The 20 and harvest was ridiculous. Yeah. Especially if you shake them on the early side, they're going to be sitting on the ground for a long, long time with that high relative humidity. In 20, we had nuts laying on the ground for three weeks and still weren't good. I made a comment to one of the local haulers. It seems like that stuff's going backwards. And he looks up and said, it is. I'm measuring them every day. They're getting wetter every day. It was just bizarre in 20. And the longer those nuts are on the ground, not only they're exposed to ants, but depending on the irrigation system you have, 
in my parts, it's all solid set irrigation. You're not irrigating that whole time. So you have just some incredible tree stress uh, that these trees are experiencing. And you're turning any other nuts that are still on the trees into stick tights at that point. So yes, yes. If the listeners are are getting confused here, the biggest learning I've had in the last few years is it's all about the basics. Be exceptional at the basics is one of the mottos we use here internally at Blue Diamond. And it's really all about the basics. And what we're talking about, you and I today, Luke, is really the basics. But there's some finer points in the application of the basics that I'm just saying, remember these things, consider them. Pull the trigger when it's the most optimal for you within the limitations that you have as a grower. You may not be in control of your destiny if you're using strictly custom harvesters, custom operators. We understand that. And there's consequences for everything. It sounds bad to be willing to accept or at least understand the consequences for each action, whether I shake green, whether I shake late, there's going to be consequences that you, in many cases you can compensate for. That's the trick. Well said, Mel. I think you did a fabulous job of answering this question of when do you shake almonds. And as you've noted, it, it's going to be different for each situation, each piece of ground, each variety. But I think we've brought some good basic considerations to bear here. I'll bring it to end by saying communication is important. Be talking to your hauler sheller. Be talking to your handler. Make sure that people are aware of what's coming. If there's any questions at all, pick up the phone and start asking questions. I know in our case, we work with people. We help them get through. We help them understand. If you're the person that says, well, I'm going to pass this problem on to the next guy. Yeah, that's got repercussions to it too. Just be communicating to people. It really helps. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to link to that article that Clarissa wrote, as well as an article on stockpiling. So thank thank you you so much, Mel. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity today. Thanks for listening to Growing the Valley, a UCANR podcast. You can find out more about this episode at our website, growingthevalleypodcast.com. We'd like to thank the Almond, Pistachio, Walnut, and Prune Boards for their support. We'd also like to thank my sister, Muriel Gordon, for writing and recording the theme music.